Welcome to the Mind Your Leadership Podcast. I'm Karen Soup. In this podcast, I will have conversations with thought leaders, CEOs, and managers from various organizations about leading mindfully. We will learn from experienced leaders how they implement mindful leadership in the day-to-day organizational culture, and we will gain tools and skills. So stay with us. Hello, today I will host Claudia Miller. Claudia is a career coach for women in tech, and she's helped her clients land fulfilling jobs at a senior level. She also partners with companies and organizations in identifying rising stars within their organizations and providing strategic insights and support in developing a leadership and talent pipeline with a focus on women and women of color. She worked with top Fortune 500 clients, and she's also the creator and host of Roadmap to the Executive Suite podcast. Due to her client success, she's been featured multiple times in Forbes, MSN, DC, Thrive Global, and Business Insider put her in their top global list of top innovative career coaches. Today, we will speak about how we can climb the corporate ladder, how we can provide strategic insight and support in developing a leadership and talent pipeline, and much more. So stay with us. Claudia, thank you for joining. Karen, I'm so happy to be here, especially with some of the conversation topics we'll be discussing today. Me too. So, you know, I like to start with a personal question, and I'd be happy to hear from you if you can share something that someone said that changed your perspective, viewpoint, or how you approach life. Yeah. So when I was younger, one of the things that I came from humble beginnings, so I'm the first one in my family to graduate high school, let alone college and go to grad school. And I followed Ramit Sethi. And one of the things that he said, and and this is like a quote that goes along with it, is do what others won't to achieve what others can't. So that really changed the trajectory of my life because sometimes, you know, I was more of in a victim mindset, like, why did this happen to me? Why can I have networks and why can I have, you know, parents that can connect me with these opportunities? But when I started reframing my mindset, all of a sudden is, what do I need to do to get there? And what were most people are not willing to do that I'm willing to do it. I'm work, you know, willing to work hard. I'm willing to work smart. I'm willing to go above and beyond in order for me to see those positive disproportionate results. And since then, I mean, I've seen really great, much success, not only in my career, but now as a business owner, just because I tend to do 10 to 15% more than what the average person would do. And that's what really has led to a lot of my success now. Amazing. Can you share with us, you know, first of all, I'm interested to learn more about the focus that you put on women, right? Because your main focus is helping women know themselves and promote. And so can you connect us to your own path or what's your motivation to work, especially with women? Yes. Well, as I mentioned, you know, I grew up from very humble beginnings and I saw my mom struggle, even though she were, you know, full-time. I mean, I was the one, the caretaker mostly of the household. And I just see so many opportunities. And even as a professional, when I was working in corporate, I definitely saw that a lot of women were not advocating for themselves. They were not negotiating their salaries. They were not able to really sell themselves and, really goes on. And, you know, I've had some really great friends and relationships where, you know, amazing women, but they've kind of just stayed stagnant and didn't fully 
move into what they wanted to do just because they felt like they just couldn't for whatever reason. And that's really my biggest motivator because I see myself like, you know, when you empower women, you empower future generations. And by moving them up into more senior leadership roles, we provide voices and studies show that when women earn more, they actually give back to their community in comparison to men. So it's just one of those things that kind of just hits home personally, but also now as, you know, woman and, you know, plan on having children, like I want to make sure that there's equal opportunity just because we're just as smart, we're just as, you know, able and, you know, actually companies tend to profit even more when more women are in those leadership roles. I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> Let me ask you a question before we move on to the corporate sphere. If you have an example of one of the women that you worked with and what was the process and this, how you helped her to confront, to... So I had a client who was like in a director position. Well, I should say she just recently had been in a director position and she was now looking to find a job. And when I talked to her, one of the biggest reasons she really wanted to find a job was because she found out how much she was being underpaid. Now, she loved the company. She loved the role. And at the time, before she was promoted, they told her, since you don't have director experience, why don't you do the job so you can gather that experience and then we'll be able to give you the title and the salary. Well, she did that role for three years without the title, without the salary. And once she was able to get that promotion, she found out that even after she received a salary increase, she was still being grossly underpaid. And her direct employees were getting paid $50,000 more than her, even though she had more experience than them. She actually created one of the, like a renowned world-class application system in her industry where it was widely recognized and is actually one of like the star, you know, almost like the perfect imprint of what an application should look like. Yeah, she was making $50,000 less. She had been with the company for over 10 years. And that's when she realized that she was not being appreciated. She wasn't being compensated fairly. And one of the things that they told her is, that's as much as we can give you. I'm so sorry. There's nothing we can do. So that kind of shows of like how much women, but also like we're penalized for being loyal to a company. She's done really great remarks. She's done really great work. Yet, will we ask a man to do the job for three years and not pay them or give them the title? That's where I see a lot of these nuances happening. And that's exactly what she experienced. Now, on a positive note, she still loved her company. So thankfully, her manager, I think I let go or something happened, but they were no longer in that position because they were honestly, by the sounds of it, they were not a good manager. If you cannot make sure to take care of your employees, well, then you probably should not be in a manager position. So fast forward, she ended up getting a, almost a 40% salary increase, finally getting her up to the almost top level of that salary range. And because she was doing the role for three years, they took that into account. And now they're grooming her for the senior director role, even though on paper, it looks like she's only been doing it for eight months. Wow. Amazing story. And, you know, if I recap and, and summarize what you said, I think it really comes to the end to believing in ourselves, right? To respect ourselves and what we're bringing to be sure of our value and to ask for our value and not to be waited that they will offer it to us because it won't happen, right? And like you say, the male feel comfortable doing it. So we all need to be comfortable with what we're bringing and be confident in ourselves. And I think this is a process, a journey for, I think, each and every one of us to feel comfortable in his skin and ask for what he believes he needs to get. And you know, what I see, again, interesting thing, sometimes people 
need to do to make this change to move a company in order to get what they want right so sometimes the change enables you to ask for what you want because sometimes you are perceived in a way that they can change the way they are looking at you and once you going out of the company then maybe they don't want you to go so then they will pay or appreciate what you bring or they can see you differently what do you think about it yeah I definitely have a philosophy that you It's both party responsibilities. It is the responsibility of the organization to make sure that they're being equal, especially when it comes to their pay, making sure they're taking care of their employees, especially if you want to retain top talent like her. She had created a world-renowned application system in her industry, but also the other half where we have to take accountability and responsibility for ourselves. We need to learn how to advocate for ourselves. We need to be able to learn how to sell ourselves, how to make sure, how do we find advocates and sponsors. But when we both have like those perfect advocates, individuals empowered and taking action accountability and we have an organization that's doing the same thing that's where we can find a really great partnership where you have top talent that you know wants to be there performs very well and studies show that when you have at least and you need to have at least 30% of women in those senior leadership roles but when you do there's around a 10 to 50% increase in profitability above the marketplace. And it also helps in de-risking company performance. So, and there's an increase in patents innovations just when we have more women in those senior leadership roles. And especially right now where everything's getting competitive and we want to increase that market share, you know, having women in those senior leadership roles and doing the right thing, it's what's great for business and also for the employees and being able to retain and attract that top talent. That's amazing data. What are, what are they explain the differences in the impact of women in a leadership position? So the reason why there's such positive impact when we move more women senior leadership roles is because there's different points of views. And not only that, it also attracts and we're able to tap into different customer segmentations that we wouldn't otherwise have thought about. And when we talk about de-risking performance, I mean, there's so many examples out there where, You know, we hear about something, a commercial that was done inappropriately. We're thinking, had they just had the person that represented that specific culture or that specific demographic, the company could have avoided such backlash, maybe lawsuits and all these other things had they had the right people in place. And women were that other 50% of the population, especially when we dive in and do women of color and also demographics. then we can establish a better overview and a representation of what our actual world looks like. Therefore, in helping us not make those mistakes of saying things we shouldn't be because it could be harmful to other you know, demographics or socioeconomic status people. And then from that perspective, it also adds that additional point of view because men will never know what, you know, at least you know, what women go through or women that identify as women. So, That is one of the things and like a really prime example is uh, I don't know if you saw the recent Ford commercial where it said like oh this card is made for men it has no heaters no windshield wipers doesn't have all these things and the reason is because women actually invented that now imagine us living in a world where only specific demographic did that so by having these more women in senior leadership roles we're able to tap into that other demographic and you Like I said, increases innovation, those patents. And I don't want to be driving a car without a windshield wiper or heater. And because of that, you're also leading to more sales. Yeah, amazing. I can relate. And yet, you actually bring in a bigger picture, right? You don't bring only one viewpoint, but much more. And then from this 
diversity innovation can create it. Otherwise, we can do more of the same. Tell me, you're working with the corporate world. So how do you identify rising stars within the organizations? How do you help leaders maintain and retain their talented employees? One of the things is really establishing clear job descriptions and evaluation criteria. Whereas, you know, we want to make sure that the employee knows and the manager knows what are some of those evaluation criteria because, you know, sometimes it can be different what a man will have versus a woman will have. And there's always that, always that notion of, well, they're a mom or that they're not performing well, yet this person is performing either at or above their male peer counterparts. So really having those clear guidelines of what that looks like is really going to be helpful. And when it comes to identifying that top talent is, you know, making sure that we're actively mentoring and preparing women and even having like a leadership talent pipeline program where, you know, they can either self-identify or the manager can say, you know what, Karen is a really great employee. She's been doing really great work. I want to nominate her into this program so that way she can also be groomed and start meeting other leadership within the company in itself. So that way she's exposed to this and we're going to help her with resources while also you're doing the work as well. So it really brings that, you know, perfect marriage of, like I said, the self-accountability from the person itself, but also that accountability from an organization company perspective. So those are could be some ways we can do that. It can also be like around, um, job descriptions and making sure we're being very active and not saying very male dominated language. You know, we've seen those job descriptions. You know, we're looking for the roll up your sleeves, you know, a hunter versus gatherer mentality, whereas that's really going to attract more men and deter women from applying. But data shows that when you create a gender neutral job description, both men and women will apply and it will not deter men from applying. So that will be like another way perspective of how do we attract, you know, more of that, more women into those leadership roles. And then how do we source for them, making sure that we're not just posting them on LinkedIn or Indeed, but we can tap into some associations designated specifically for women. where We can say we're hiring for these roles and, you know, being a little bit more strategic around that. So actually what you're saying, it's finding the self-awareness needs to be among the company, the organization and among the employees in order for them to look for the path that fulfills them, right? To be active and to look for the opportunities to grow and evolve and for the company to offer people the opportunity into even sometimes tailor a position for a specific um, talent that you want them to stay in the company, right? It's what I hear you say, first of all, there needs to be alignment between kind of a partnership nowadays, mm-hmm. right? The organization doesn't control anymore the talent of the employee and Vice versa, it's something that needs to evolve together, co-creation of new opportunities, new job descriptions in order to find the right way forward. So this is, first of all, what I heard you saying. So can you give us an example? What do you see the main challenges in organization when you work with the corporate world, finding the right balance, aligning between the talent and the company's needs? And what I've seen is systems lead to behavior. So company systems will dictate behavior. It's, you know, if I pay you a commission, then you're going to want to make more sales. If I pay you a base salary, well, then, you know, you're going to perform at that part. So overall systems do dictate true behavior. And one of the things that when companies, you know, when I work with them, I ask them, where are you currently at? Show me the data. What is our current baseline? 
And at times they don't have that data or they might say, oh, you know, we have 30% of women in our workforce. Okay, at what levels and can you break it down by race? Are you able to you know, pull that data? Because we can say, oh, we have 30% of women, but if they're all entry level, well, that defeats the purpose of it. And there's a study done by McKinsey called Women in the Workplace. And it shows that for every 100 men that get promoted, around 86 women get promoted. And I think it's around 82 women of color get promoted. So as we start moving up the you know, career ladder, there's a 75% drop where there's not as many women in those leadership roles because they've been compounded and they haven't been promoted at the same level as men. Yet studies show that women outperform men and are more educated now than our male counterparts. So again, there's this discrepancy happening. And again, it's in these systems in itself. I've come across organizations where they'll say, you know, we're going to put up a job posting and at least 50% needs to be diverse candidate pool. And if there's not 50% of diverse candidate pool, we won't even give them hiring manager the resumes. And that sounds great in theory, like, great, they're being proactive. But where it really fails is, how are you sourcing and making sure that you get 50% of the candidates? Because what's happening is, They'll put a job posting and the hiring process is delayed because HR will say, well, sorry, we don't have a 50% diverse pool. We're still waiting on that. But yet there's nothing being actively done. And now the manager is getting upset because they're wondering, well, there's just not talent applying to these roles. And it's you know delaying me filling the overall roles in itself. And there's just not enough talent. And that's not the actual truth. It's there needs to be a second part of if that's going to be your you know, philosophy or that strategy, well, what are we doing to drive 50% of that diverse candidate? Where are we posting? What does our job description look like? What are the type of roles? Are we compensating fairly? What does our overall look like versus just saying, we're just going to set this up a strategy, but we're not going to do anything to ensure or enable success. So it's really understanding like your, what are we doing? And I would say another thing that companies are doing is like saying, hey, we need to hire or we want to increase by an extra 10, 15% of our diverse candidate pool, yet there's no accountability where, mm-hmm. you know, they might say, hey, we need to do this. But again, that's not going to drive behavior. Whereas we could put it as a KPI, as an organization. And for every you know, department manager that is has ability to hire, we can say, you know, you need to have a team that's full 30, 40% of diverse candidates in your team in itself. And you need to have strategies of like what you did to implement and attract this top talent. And if you don't meet it, you fail your KPIs. Therefore, it could impact your bonus and your compensation. Mm-hmm. How quickly people will start enacting that. When you impact people's pay, things happen immediately. How can I learn? How can I get this? What are some of the strategies? Same thing with KPIs. Most of the time when we get our KPIs, we'll say, okay, how can we meet them? That is our main focus. Make sure that our department and our team meets our KPIs because that is almost like the compass. Mm-hmm. When we start including those type of strategies into those KPIs or something that we're held accountable for and there is a consequence to it, that's when people start really making change, try to be proactive at work. But just saying we're going to do better is not enough. And especially for those that may not see the benefits of that diverse pool. So this is an important thing, you know, a lot of companies... There is values on the walls, but at the end of the day, they don't act upon these values. And I think it's a broader theme about really embracing our values, right? Walk the talk and doing what we are doing. And you actually say that in order to make it happen, we need systems in place and motivate their employees from what's important for them. 
they move only because of the money. You don't think there there's different ways to engage them, to embrace this perspective, to embrace various broader perspective and uh, enabling more people to to be on board. Yes. Yes, you think? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know that's that's one of the things that by doing this, and I and I read this book and I can't remember where I read it, but it's talked about, you know, how, like I mentioned, those systems and processes. There was a, actually a specific case, and I forgot it was like a retail company. And they would say, like, let's just say, Karen, you're the manager, but we're gonna pay you based on commission. There all of a sudden, you know, if I'm on your, if I'm working on your shift at the retail store, well, you're probably gonna say, Claudia, go to the back and fold while I take these clients because I'm paid on commission. So mm-hmm. they saw that there was a lot of, you know, employees leaving. There was, you know, low retention rates. Just people were not actively happy. And the sales ended up dropping just because one person was bringing the sales. Now, mm-hmm. when they changed their system to say, hey, Karen, now you're a manager. We're going to pay you a salary, but your employees are paying on commission. All of a sudden, we saw their increase in retention. And now those managers were making sure, like, how can I ensure that every single one of my employees hits their sales goals and how can I do better because I need to hit my goals. And all of a sudden it just changed the dynamic of everything. And I know I've heard some people say, well, we shouldn't have to include KPIs to hire and do the right thing. You know, it should just come innately. It should, but that's not the reality we live in. So what is the first step that we can get there? Once we do get to that point and then people understand the, the strategies and the importance of it, then we can move to a different type of strategy or um, system. But up until we get there, I think that just because there's such discrepancy within even what managers know. One of the things that I've heard sometimes from like male counterparts is, you know, I'm I'm really good at managing male employees. I just don't know how to manage female employees. I don't know how to talk to them. Well, you talk to them like, well, how do you give feedback to your male employees? Well, I take them out for lunch and, you know, we have conversations and, you know, we talk about, you know, family stuff. And eventually I let them know like, hey, by the way, you know, I want to see some performance improvements here. Here's what you could do better. And I was like, why can't you do that the same with a woman? It's like, well, I don't know what to say. What if it looks wrong? You know, what if it goes other things? So there's also needs to be this education for managers of like, how do we make sure that we're being equal and we're being fair with our management or strategies and making sure that I'm also providing that feedback to my female employees. Because again, data shows that men will receive more feedback in comparison to women because they don't know how to have those conversations. Wow, this really surprised me, I must say. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't encounter it. Maybe my focus is not there, but thinking that men don't know how to speak with a female, that's really, really interesting data because don't you have kids at home? Don't you have a wife, spouse, parents? So what's the difference at the end of the day? You know, you talk a lot about systems and at the end of the day, I think it's a business and corporate world contains people to people, human beings. And at the end of the day, what I believe that we are engaged from a deeper place, we would be more productive and we will be engaged. If it's only the system that is in place, okay, but my heart is not there and I'm not connected to the company and to the other people and to the mission and vision, I'm not sure I will stay there. So I think it's a, we need to find the right balance between making the system, but also enabling people to show up fully, to be present, to speak from the heart, to have conversation, to have frank conversations and to communicate as human beings. Otherwise, it's really, really tough for people to stay in this place because 
what's the incentive? You know, people also want to be connected in the workplace to feel a sense of community, and meaningfulness. So I think it's also needs to get placed. And it's interesting the viewpoint that you bring between, because this is really a focus between women and men. So it's interesting. And maybe we need to raise the awareness regarding it. But, you know, it's always interesting because there's voices that say, you know, when you talk so much about women and women and need to promote them, so you actually create the gap. You kind of maintain the situation. Why are you talking too much about women? doing be the same as men so what do you think about it? it's interesting no it's always when i i hear the conversation about women and men and the differences so this viewpoint they say okay we actually maintain the gap once we are approaching these things what do you think about it yeah and like i said like it, there is like a significant drop when it comes to women in leadership roles women are not promoted at the same rate as men and even data shows that that managers don't get management training until their fourth year in management. <laughs> so I do believe that for the most part, people have good intent. I don't think people are like, I don't want to promote women on purpose. So I'm going to, you know, sabotage this. I don't believe that. I do think that people try to do the best with what they know and what they have at their current you know, disposal and at their certain time. But even like, like I said, systems, it could be like, if you're promoted to a manager, we're going to provide you with management training immediately how to have conversations with all types of groups and how do you do you know, diverse recruiting and hiring and all these things. But if just because you're a great employee doesn't mean you're going to be a great manager. That's and even, and there's always things to learn. So, you know, you would not, if we were working with a surgeon, I don't want the surgeon to get training on the fourth year that they've been doing surgeries. I want the surgeon to be trained before they start surgeries. And same thing comes with management. You know, there should be management training and not just, you know, like, oh, here's how the, our hiring practices. It should be, how do we have those crucial conversations? How to make sure that we're able to provide feedback for all of our employees equally, and we're providing fair, you know, fair feedback, we're providing fair opportunities. How do we help our client, our employees with career plans? Because we don't want, I mean, for the most part, you want your employees to continue moving up, getting promoted. That's how you create loyal employees, especially when there's upward mobility. That's how you attract in keep top talent. And not only that, you keep a lot of that knowledge information within the organization, which is very powerful versus you always coming in with new people every six to 12 months. There's just so much you can get done at that point. So there's just so many aspects of it. But again, it also leads to systems. What are we currently having in place? And even just offering these types of conversations and, you know, making sure that it's truly at the forefront. It's really what's going to drive that change because people do mean well, you know, mm -hmm. for, like I said, for the most part, they want to do better. They just don't know how, or they don't even know that it may be an issue or maybe they're not that at that level of self-awareness. Yeah. No, it's interesting what you said. I didn't think about it, but for sure they need to get a training and tools and to develop them as leaders, because the fact that you are a good employee doesn't mean you will be a good uh, leader. I want to circle back before we wrap up to ask you if you can give tip for negotiation, higher skill for women, women and men. I think, I think also men are struggling with it. I'm not sure it's only women issue, but if you can give a few tips, how if people want to negotiate for higher salary to promote themselves whatever. Yes. And I love the sour negotiation conversation because I've helped clients get anywhere between 30 and even up to $140,000 in additional earned income. And my clients on average usually get 56% more than what they're currently making. 
The reason being, I do work with women and women of color, so they're being grossly underpaid. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, men also are being underpaid. That's usually not talked about, but it's still not as higher levels as it is for women, but there's still a lot of men that are being underpaid, especially when you look at men of color. So some of the sound negotiation strategies that I like to use for my clients is the conversation is not about, hey, I, I want some more money or I want to earn more or why is you know John making more money than I am? So your salary conversation or negotiation should never be about anyone else. It should be based on performance because I can say, well, you know what? John negotiated his, his salary. You did it. That's why. Or did you know John had a certification? Did you know John brought in a deal? Did you know John? Like You don't control that. But when I talk about salary negotiation based on my performance and the value I bring to the organization, it's an easier conversation when I tell them I brought an extra $5, $10 million of additional revenue this year. All I'm asking is $15,000, $20,000 more. Well, great. There's a business case for it. And it's a lot easier to have the conversation versus I work hard. I come in on time. And it's like, well, we expect you to work hard and come in on time. That's what we're paying you for. So we derived anything personal-based out of the salary negotiation conversation and drive it more as a business case. That's when you start seeing those results. And I actually have a, and I'd be happy to share this with your listeners. I have my $10,000 word for word salary negotiation script um, that I have my clients use. And one of my clients actually used it to get a $30,000 salary increase. That was really good for her, especially after she pivoted to a different role and a different type of industry and still got that salary increase. So we'll share the link. So that way, you know, your listeners, you know, can download it. And it's a word for word script to say, here's exactly what to say. I do recommend to practice, so just wing it, practice the script, read it over and over to sound confident and it comes out comfortable and natural. And then it even says like, if they say A, here's how you respond. If they say B, here's a different response in order to have that conversation. But it's definitely something that you need to prepare for it. It's not something you want to wing it, especially if you want success. And like I said, I've had clients on average is $50,000, $70,000 that they get. And that's because... You know, they prepare for it. We show the business case and, you know, the companies are more than happy to offer that, you know, salary because it's still within budget for them. And now they have a very happy employee that, you know, feels appreciated. It's well compensated and that employee is more likely to be loyal and actually increase performance. Great. Great tips. Claudia, before we wrap up, is there any question that I didn't ask you that you want me to ask that you want to share with our listeners? I will talk a little bit more about side negotiation, maybe like one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen. One of the biggest mistakes that I've seen is people base their next salary based on how much they're currently making. Mm-hmm. So let's just say I'm making a hundred thousand. Well, maybe it'd be nice if I made 115. I mean, 120 would be really great. Yet how we should look at it is, well, how much is my next role? What is that salary range for that? Oh, that job pays on average 150 to 170. Well, then I'm going to ask the 170. What you're currently making has nothing to do with your next salary, especially if you're going through career advancement. And a great analogy I like to use is, Karen, if you buy your house for 100,000 and I'm willing to offer you 300,000 for, especially in this marketplace, are you gonna tell me, Claudia, no, no, I can't sell it to you for 300. I only paid 100. How would I sell it to you for $120,000? I mean, you'd be crazy if you did that. So same thing with your salary. Don't base it on how much you're currently making, base it on what the market is paying. This type of role pays around this salary. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to ask for. And don't forget, you know, the comp benefits around it, which, you know, could be RSUs, 
bonus, sign-on bonus, you know, commission, so on and so forth. Interesting. So you actually say when you go to a new job to land a new job, or don't be attached to the past. Think where you're heading and see the opportunities and what you can get from there and then be bold to ask exactly. that, right? Yes. So it's be bold in the, within the company, between companies and in life. Be bold to ask what you believe you are worth and what you want to. Claudia, thank you very much for all your practical tools and uh, wisdom. If people want to reach out and also to get this um, tips that you offer, where can they find you? They can find me on my website, ClaudiaTMiller.com. Also, I'm very active on LinkedIn where I offer a lot of free career advice, not only for organizations, but also individuals that are currently looking for career advancement, um, earning more, or looking to land a very fulfilling job. So Claudia T. Miller as well on LinkedIn. Claudia, thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.